Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Uh, about 50% of the people that are here this morning, every, every survey we do says about 50% of the people that, that show up at Springwell have never been to church before. And uh, our survey usually shows that that means, I mean, they've never really never been to church, period. Um, and that's, that's amazing. And so uh, Jonathan asked me a few minutes ago, I, I, man, I love him so much. And um, I, I love the relationship that we have, the trust that we have with each other. And so he came down and he said, man, is that okay? Did I go too far? No. And I could tell him that because I trust him. And, and, and I, could, I could trust him because I know that he would be led by the Lord. And, and so he, he asked that question because, you know, I, my thing is I am so, so sensitive to those folks that are like brand new to church and you're freaking out going, like, would it be bad if I just left? You know, you're trying to find... The side door, it says exit. You're thinking, I could go slide right out, you know. We don't want you to feel that way at all and to be very comfortable. This is just who we are. And the thing that we have found is is that this is not not stuff that we make up on Sunday. See, this is how we live our lives. And this morning, for example, uh, I felt a heaviness. I I just felt a real heaviness. I have no earthly idea why. It's been a while since I've really felt this thing. And so during the run through, I just kind of walked around and, and kind of prayed, and then I have I have somebody that I pray with every Sunday, because I believe the power in what we do is is when we pray, we just beg and plead with God that He just does the unusual. We don't ask Him to show up; He's already here, so we don't have to ask Him like, "Hey, I know you're way up in heaven. It's going to take you about five ten minutes to get here." So we don't we don't have to do that. We just want to give you a head start. We don't we don't have to do that, see, because He we, He's here because He lives in us. You do know that, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit abides within us. And so he's already here. We don't have to beg him to be here. What we want to make sure is that we just give him the freedom to do whatever he wants to do. Because I think that's why you come. Even like if you've never been to church before. And you may not understand it. You may go, I don't know. what This is kind of different. And so what you will see from our people, because there's a lot of people just like you, they're just trying to figure it out too. And, and really what that means for the walls to come down so we can just worship God and be in his presence and then just to be radically changed by that. That's what you're hungry for, right? Absolutely. A couple of weeks ago, we did a series called 41, and we, and we looked at the story of David and Goliath, and it's like one of the most famous underdog stories of all time, in case you missed that. In fact, you don't even have to be a church person to know the story of David and Goliath, right? I mean, if you've, brought, if you've been brought up at all, you know, in the sports world, at some point, in some time in your athletic career, you heard some coach tell you that story and how little David, the little shepherd boy, the little zero, little nothing, nobody from nowhere, his family didn't even believe in him, and yet this little kid, maybe 15 years old, stands in front of this giant who was maybe nine foot, nine inches tall. That's, that's the Hebrew trying to break that down. It really doesn't matter how tall he was. He was a giant to them. But this little kid this day stands in front of him, and he, and he defeats him. Wow, this incredible underdog defeats the big giant. It is that story that where this kid goes from zero to hero literally overnight. 
And I love just getting into the life of David. And so I thought, we just got to follow up. Doing, we got to do something else. And so the next two weeks, we're going to talk about David. And the title of our series is, it's just David. <laughs> that's, all we got. that's all we got. You know, it's just, it's just going to be David. And so here's the thing. He was an overnight success. He's like 15 years old. Parents, can you imagine your 15-year-old being known nationwide? For some of y'all, that's scary, right? They're, they got songs about him or her. You know, you walk in Walmart, everybody <gasps> gasp. They know who you are. Everywhere you go, your child is a national hero. He's the man. Well, he's not even a man yet. He's still just a kid. But yet he's still the man, right? So King Saul, King Saul realizes that this young man has a lot of potential. I mean, he can't even fathom. And so he's thinking, wow, man, this kid has a lot of potential. And not only does he have a lot of potential, but what he has now is a lot of influence. And influence is power. And so here's what you have to understand. King Saul is the first king of Israel. And you would think that, like, being king, you'd be pretty confident, you know? Like, I won. I'm the king. I'm the man. You know, I'm in the palace. I'm the one making the decisions. You would think that. But that wasn't necessarily true. It wasn't true for him at all. In fact, he was in very, very, very insecure. So he sees this young 15-year-old. How tough is it when you're intimidated as a man? You're intimidated by a 15-year-old. And you're not just intimidated by the person, but you're intimidated by his influence because you know that influence is power. So King Saul said, you know what? i got to get this kid on my team. And the only way to get him on my team literally is to give him, get him into my family. So he had this plan, and the plan was to offer one of his daughters to David in marriage. But David's response was just weird. It's just really weird. But say, David said to Saul, who am I? Like, literally, no kidding. I'm the, I'm the no now. I'm the shepherd. I, nobody believed in me. My daddy never looked at me and said, you should go with your brothers and go to war because you're awesome. I know you're a little small for your. I know you're a little small for your age. I know that you don't have any experience, but literally, you sh- nobody ever believed in him. So he's literally saying, "Who in the world? Literally, who am I? And what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law?" So I'm thinking to myself, his daughter must have been really ugly. <laughs> it's like the only thing I can walk away with. I don't have that in scripture. It's just kind of a thought I had. That's what you get sometimes, right? <laughs> So eventually, David does fall in love with another one of the king's daughters named Mihal. And so they get married, and so it's, it's like everything's going perfect as the king planned, right? So he gets, in, he gets into the family, and then he, you know, King Saul notices that his son Jonathan also just like so believes in David. It's over the top. And so this kid, you know, getting into his family maybe is not quite as good idea as he thought. You know, because now they, really, they literally are beginning to trust him, David, and love him, David, more than they do their own father. And so he gets kind of jealous. So for several years, David's kind of in and out of the king's favor. And on more than one occasion, you know, old King Saul says, i got to get rid of this kid. I mean, this kid has got... He's got way too much influence. He's got way too much power. I mean, it was one thing when he had, you know, influence over the nation as a whole. But really, I can't fault him because he's a good kid. But the thing of it is, he's stealing my family from me, and i got to take him out, but I can't do it. I can't be the one to do it. 
And so he said, you know, his, his thoughts was, I'll just let the Philistines do it. Like, duh, that's kind of a bad idea. What you think? I mean, hey, you like defeated the biggest, baddest of the Philistines. But anyway, so he would send David on these impossible missions, but David would come back alive and successful. And now people love him even more. And so you can imagine just the frustration that's continuing to build and build and build with King Saul. And he discovers that every time he tries to literally secretly have him arrested, that either his son or his daughter would assist David. And so the frustration builds and builds and builds until finally it comes, all comes to a head one night at dinner. Now, dinner was a big deal. Dinner was a big deal in this particular, in ancient times anyway, but it was also a huge deal if you had the opportunity to sit at the king's table and to eat with him. It was an extraordinary honor. And so David, you know, had typically shown up, but in the last few turbulent years, I mean, you know, David's not stupid. Like he's into a, he goes into a room with Saul and he can kind of, you can cut the tension with a knife. You just know something's not right. So he had started missing dinner. So one night, Saul asked Jonathan, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 7, verse 27, he says, why is it the son of David? He wouldn't even call him by name. I just thought that was a hoot when I read that. Obviously, I'm the only one. But I mean, when you read that, you know, he didn't call him. David didn't call him by his name. He said, why, why is it the son of Jesse? Come to eat. You know, come to the meal to eat with me. I mean, what, what's wrong? He didn't come yesterday. He's not here today. And so Jonathan basically just kind of covers for David. And old Papa Barry just explodes with anger. And again, he starts not naming names. He says, you, you son of a prefer, a prefer, a, <laughs> it's easy for you to say, perverse. I'm thinking if I call my wife that, this would be the last sermon you'd hear me preach. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. He didn't even call her by name. Don't I know that you've sided with the son of Jesse? To your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send somebody to bring him to me because he got to die. So he uses manipulation. He says, I've tried everything else. So he's looking at Jonathan saying, you know what, the only, you, you are really, you're in line to be the next king. You're my son. So you're in line to be the next king. So what I'm going to do is appeal to you and your sense of, the sense of your future. And maybe you'll think about it just for a second. Wait a minute. This guy stands between me and my future, and maybe I can kind of manipulate and intimidate, and maybe that will do something, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work at, at all. In fact, Jonathan runs to David and he says, you know what? You've got to get out of Dodge. So David's like 22 at this point. He's 22 years old, and maybe for the first time, or at least the first time in a very long time, he's feeling an emotion he hasn't felt. It's fear. He's afraid. Now, he's been rejected by the man that literally he has risked his life for. Time after time after time after time again, he goes to battle. He goes to battle for the king, and he comes back victorious. He literally has been willing to put his life on the line. He's done absolutely nothing wrong, and the king wants him dead. So he's afraid. And so he did what a lot of us do when we're afraid. 
He panicked. He panicked, and, and he decided that he would take matters into his own hands. Have you ever done that? Man, I have. Have mercy. I mean, have you ever been praying, 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 begging, pleading with God, and you just don't think God's doing anything? God's not showing up. You don't feel the presence of God. Are you with me? Am I the only one? Somebody slip up your hand just to let me know. Thank you. The rest of y'all liars. Because we've all been there, right? And so in those moments, out of fear, you decide that you're going to take matters into your, home, into your own hands. And it's like suddenly the hero David totally forgot about his past. He forgot all about the lion. He forgot all about the bear. He forgot all about defeating the giant. So here's what happened. First Samuel 21, David went to Nob. To Ahimelech, the priest, Ahimelech trembled when he met him, and he asked, Dude, like you're David. You're hero David. You're the king's son-in-law. What, what are you doing here alone? Why have you showed up by yourself? This doesn't really make sense because David was a national hero, and when David showed up, David showed up with a posse everywhere he went. One commentator said that, in fact, there could have been as many as a thousand men that everywhere David went, trained warriors, not just your average men, but trained warriors accompanied the greatest war uh, hero that the country had ever known. And so he's looking at him going, whoa, man, something here just ain't right. What's going on? David answered and said, well, the king sent me on a mission. He sent me on a mission, and he said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission that I'm sending you on, the, the mission I'm sending you on. And as far as my men, well, they're out in the bushes hiding. And so David, is, he's just lying. And why is he lying? Because he's afraid. And the story continues. So David says, now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. And so David shows up, the great war hero shows up in front of this priest, Ahimelech. He's by himself. He's disheveled. He's hungry. And so Ahimelech has to be thinking, this is just weird. I mean, I don't know what it is. Something stinks. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I'm pretty sure i got an idea what it is. I mean, something's just weird. The king's son-in-law, you're a war hero. You show up by yourself. You say you're on a secret mission. Your, your men are out hiding somewhere in the bushes, and now you're telling me that you're hungry. Man. So the priest responded. He said, well, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, I have some consecrated bread. So what is consecrated bread? It was bread for the priest. That's what the consecrated bread was for. And he said, so I don't have any, like, normal food, but I've got some food that's been set aside that's, uh, you know, i got some holy bread that I'm going to give you. I mean, this is weird. I don't know why in the world you would show up all alone and you would be hungry. But honestly, it gets weirder than this. And then, then David says to him, like, oh, yeah, by the way, you wouldn't happen to have a spear or sword here, would you? I mean, it's really smelling right now. I mean, he's checking his feet. He's thinking, I'm, he stepped in it. Somewhere I know out in, 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 the, in the field there was some cow patties, something, because something just doesn't smell quite right. I've, 
I haven't brought a sword or any weapon because the king's mission was so urgent. Then the king, then the priest replied, I got a sword. It's the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed, remember? You killed in the valley of Elah. It's here. It's wrapped in cloth behind the, the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. So Ahimelech's thinking, <laughs> this is the craziest story I've ever heard. You show up as a war hero, alone, disheveled, nervous. It appears that it's for certain that you're lying. You say that you're hungry, and the great war hero has no weapon. And so this weapon that you have is the weapon that you used. Remember, you, you used this weapon. And what you need to know is that what happened with David was that David took this sword, and, and rather than for him to keep it for himself, he decided that what he would do is that he would give it to the priest for his keeping. It was basically David's way of saying, you know what, I recognize I never did any of this on my own. I didn't do this on my own. It wasn't me. It wasn't skill. It wasn't my size. It wasn't my intellect. The reason that I was able to defeat the giants in my past was because of the presence of God. And so that's what this sword represents. And so this sword is just a reminder for David that he had been dependent on God. So this is a big moment, right? This is suddenly where David is reminded of the afternoon that he did the unthinkable. Surely in that moment, David's got to be thinking to himself, dude, what in the world happened to me? Well, what happened to him, the answer is easy. It's fear. Fear has the potential to cause all of us to forget the defeated giants in our past. It's amazing. How quick that can happen. But I'm a living testimony that it can. Fear has the potential to undermine our faith in God. When we become fearful, when the giant, whatever the giant is, stands in front of us and, and we can't think about the past, we're paralyzed by the present, and then suddenly God's not as big as we thought God was. And so then we question God. David gets this extraordinary visual aid to remind him of God's faithfulness and power. So you're thinking right now, the lights have got to go on in David's head, right? I mean, the lights have got to go on. This is where the story changes. The music shifts. This, this is where the camera, if this were a movie, this is where the camera would have a spotlight on David's face and he would... <laughs> like, you know, on Days of Our Lives or something... I mean, not that I watch Days of Our Lives. Don't, don't, don't. Y'all with me, though, right? I mean, whatever that look is, it's that, that aha moment, right? You would think that he would think, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? I remember. Wrong. It didn't happen. So David says, yep, that old sword, yep, ain't nothing like it. Give it to me. you think there'd be a longer verse for this, wouldn't you? Some discussion a little bit of chatter. There's nothing. 
There's none like it. Yeah, I remember. Now shut up and give it to me. That's kind of like what I read. And so David totally misses it, and he takes, literally, he takes matters into his own hands. He lies, and he runs away again. And we're thinking, how, how in the world could you possibly miss it? But that's where his story intersects our story, right? There we are. When we need God the most, we're tempted to trust him the least. And let me just say this. It'll happen every single time. I've been there many times in my life. You would think that surely I would remember, but I didn't. You would think, how in the world could you forget the victory? But somehow the victory of the past is never good enough for the present. And so what we do is, instead of trusting God, we, we choose to take matters into our own hands. And you know what's really weird? We trust, we take matters into our own hands with things that never worked in the past. Isn't that crazy? You look back, if you could look back and if you could see, God's always shown up. He's always been faithful. Gee, a smart thing would be to trust God, but we don't do that. We go back to a different time in our lives, and so we decide to do what we've done before, take matters into our own hands. The problem is taking matters into our own hands has never worked. And you think somehow we would get that. But we don't. And why would David do such a thing? It's fear. I'll tell you what I grew up with. I don't, I don't know exactly how I grew up with this. I don't remember the sermon actually. But somehow I grew up thinking that if God were really with me, this wouldn't be happening to me in the first place. And i got to be honest, in the beginning, I never blamed God. I, you've heard me say this before. I never blamed God. I never thought it was God's fault. I thought it was my fault. So then I would get angry. I, then I would get angry at God. I remember at times, you know, in, in, in ministry times, I would look back and I would say, God, why don't you show up and do something? And why would you let me come this far? Why would you let, why would you let things to develop to this point if you weren't going to show up and give me a victory? And so, God, I know why. It's because of me. It's because of, you know, those sins that I struggle with, that, that uh, sin, that that, that so entangles me and always seems like it trips me up. You, you've known I've struggled with this. Why in the world would you let me come this far? And I would try to take matters into my own hands because I was pretty sure that God wasn't going to show up. Let me tell you what I've learned over the years as a follower of Jesus. And I just got to be honest, if you're young, I don't even know what young is anymore. 50? Well, some of y'all got excited about that. Then listen to someone who's lived a little bit longer than you. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned it's easy to trust God when you don't have anything to trust Him for. When things are going great, how difficult it is, is it to worship? Really? When, when things are going great in your life, I mean, you know, showing up early on a Sunday morning at some ridiculous hour, like 7 o'clock, people get here crazy early just to be prepared for you. You know that. You know that you're so important 
to God and to the people of this church and to the staff of this church and to the volunteers at this church that they're willing to show up crazy early just to be prepared to serve you. And when things are going great, it's easy to show up. You're glad to serve. When things are going great, it's, you, know, you pray those pretty prayers. You know, you, 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 you say it just right. You got these and the wherefores and the how-tos. Everything just lines up. It's a beautiful, pretty prayer. But when things begin to turn, then it's harder to trust Him. It's hard to trust Him when the things that we value start to slip away. See, it becomes more difficult to trust him when your spouse walks out or you lose your job or you can't pay your bills or you get the diagnosis, you fill in the blank for you. And then suddenly we wonder, God, where are you? And let me tell you, when you don't sense the presence of God, you'll be overwhelmed with fear. David was overwhelmed with fear. Let me tell you what he does. So he takes Goliath's sword and he goes to the land of the Philistines. That just can't be a good idea. It just can't be a good idea. I would say that fear leads to stupidity, wouldn't you? I mean, like dead straight to stupidity. This can't be a good move to go to the land of the Philistines with Goliath's sword. And he didn't just go like to any part of the land of the Philistines. You know where he specifically goes? To Gath. And who was from Gath? He's dumb as a rock. I love God because if you were anybody else, you would not put this in, in the Bible. You'd say, I'm leaving that part out. I don't know how my kids can be so stupid sometimes. <laughs> well, it's because of fear. Well, suffice it to say that things don't work out well for there. <laughs> you don't even have to read that part, right? Things don't work out really well, and so he flees and he lives in a cave because he doesn't know what else to do. And then finally, finally he comes to his senses and he goes back to his own country and he finds another prophet and he says, wow, I've messed up. You've been there, right? Man, I've, I've so messed up. I've been so stupid. And one stupid decision led to another stupid decision led to another stupid decision. And I, I had time after time where God was trying to remind me and I can't hear from God anymore. I mean, I just don't hear anything. Would you just, would you just plead with God on my behalf and and maybe would you seek that God would let me know what he wants me to do now? The problem is, the problem is, even though David's repentant, when David was with Ahimelech doing all that line, there was somebody else there as well. A guy named Dog. And uh, I read in one of the commentaries that actually uh, they believe that these are the ancestors of Dog the bounty hunter. I shouldn't have said that, you know. I just made that up. Don't go to work tomorrow and say, you won't believe what I heard. I knew that dog was a godly man. goes all the way back. No, don't, don't do that. Don't. I just made that up. I just thought it would. I just like when we laugh sometimes, I guess. I don't know. So he was actually the chief herdsman uh, for King Saul. And he, he overheard uh, the conversation between David and Himelech. And David must have been a Baptist because he got it wrong. 
dog got it wrong. And so he overheard the conversation, but he just heard enough information to be confused and to make everything look really, really bad for the priest. So dog goes to King Saul and he says, well, I found David. I found David. He went to Ahimelech for advice, and I hate to be the one to tell you this. I mean, I really do. I know how insecure you are. But the chief priest sided with your enemy David. And so the king's furious, you can imagine. So 1 Samuel 22, verse 11, the king sent for the priest Ahimelech. And this conversation doesn't go great, doesn't end very well. And finally the king said, surely, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And then the king turned and he ordered the guards to kill the, the priest and everyone that was by his side. But the soldiers refused. Verse 18, the king then ordered Dog, you turn and strike down the priest. And so Dog, the Edomite, turned and he struck him down. And that day, he killed 85. 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of priest. with its men and women and children and infants, its cattle, its donkeys, sheep. Man, they killed everybody. Wow, the power of a bad decision based on fear. Very few people escaped the slaughter. One of them was one of Ahimelech's sons. And so he, he runs to David and he falls at David's feet and he tells David, the whole entire nasty, ugly story. And David is just crushed. Just like you would be. I can't believe what I've done. That one bad decision led to another, all because of fear. What happened to me? What happened to the man that was, what happened to the boy that, that was fearless, that believed in the presence and the power of God? What happened to that kid that suddenly every decision that I've made based on fear has taken me away from the presence of God. And people have had to pay the price. So I would simply ask this question, what's your fear causing you to consider that you've never considered before? So what are you thinking about maybe relationally? What, what's, what junk's been maybe rattling around in your head and you would have never thought you would have ever had that thought, but suddenly now you do? How about financially? I mean, really, if you were just gut level honest, could you say, you know what, I just made one stupid decision after the other, after the other, after the other. And, and maybe the thing for you wasn't fear, maybe it was depression, maybe it was anxiety, a whole host of things and what those things have caused you to do in the midst of these circumstances as you face the giant is what it's caused you to do is, is to run and to take matters into your own hands. Maybe for the first time in a very long time you've thought about re-embracing an old habit that maybe you spent hours, or who are we kidding? Years. In recovery, overcome. Right now, it's at the forefront of your mind. 
And here's the wake-up call. Who else is at risk? So what is that thing? Is it fear? What's the emotion that's caused you to literally run away from God, to take matters into your own hands, and to decide for the first time, maybe in a long time, that you know more than God? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have those cards that are in your seat. And uh, it says David. It's because the series is called. There you go. Here's what I want you to do. The band's going to come out in just a minute. They're going to lead us through a powerful time of worship. What I want you to do right now, is it fear? What's leading you away from the presence of God? I just want you to kind of be thinking about that and, uh, and just write that. If it's a word, if it's a sentence, whatever it is, just maybe write that down on the card. The interesting thing about the question is that we know the advice that the grown-up King David would give. In Psalm 9, in fact, here's what he says, verse 9. The Lord is the refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. See, it's not a chemical. It's not alcohol. It's not an affair. It's not a new car. It's not a new home. It's not a new relationship. It's not a new church. God is the relationship that you run to when you feel oppressed or depressed or overwhelmed by fear. So as a follower of Jesus, where have you been running? And then there's something for those of you that are skeptical about Christianity. A thousand years after this event, This is pretty sweet. David's most famous descendant, Jesus, was born in the city of David. He would gaze into the eyes of some frightened, overtaxed, beaten down Israelites, and he would say this. He would say, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you would just be gut-level honest, and you would just be willing to, to just admit, man, I'm just weary. I'm just weary, you know? I've just... I've made one bad decision after the other, after the other, after the other, and maybe it's because of fear. Maybe you've run everywhere else, but you've failed to run to God. You've just been sure He wasn't the answer. Maybe the reason that you thought that is you know some church people. And maybe you certainly have never seen that God might be the answer from them. Could you just, for just a second, factor them out? And let me tell you that God's crazy about you. Forget about the people that are around you. Let me just tell you that God's absolutely crazy about you. And I'm not making this up. I mean, the Bible declares it. In fact, God is so crazy about you that He sent His one and only Son. He sent Himself in the flesh to this earth. He was 100% God, and yet He was 100% human. And then here's what He did. He went to the cross. And you know what He did on the cross? He slayed the giant of sin. The thing that you cannot defeat, that you've been trying to defeat on your own, 
God said, I've done that for you. And you know why he did it? Because he loves you that much. He's crazy about you and he wants a relationship with you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe, I I don't know what you write on your card. Maybe what's kept you from that. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's confusion. I don't know. But I'm telling you that Jesus settled it all. And if this morning you're just willing to say, you know what? It's just time. It's just time to give him my life. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, that maybe you would just say right now, just those words that you would just utter to him, that you would just say, God, thank you. Thank you for displaying your love. Jesus, thank you for showing me your love. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. Thank you. And I know you're alive. I know you're well. I can feel your presence right now. And I'm just asking you to forgive me of my sin. I just, I want you to be my Savior. I want to spend the rest of my life following you. You're awesome. Everybody look this way. We have the most amazing people that I get to do life with. And I I consider them all, you know, we just serve together. We do it together as a family. I hope you sense that. And so one of the greatest pleasures I have, just like I did with Jonathan this morning, is to let him him do, you know? And to be able to turn to them and say, lead us, man, just What they offer is not just great voices or talent. It's their heart. So we're going to close up today. We'd probably do it every week if I had my way, you know. We're just going to let them lead us to the very presence of God. Well, as Scott said, you have that card in your seat. And um, you may have already written something or you're, you're thinking about that, but the purpose of these cards is not to hold on to that. Um, As you leave today, there's actually going to be a fire pit on the patio as you walk out so that you can put that in the fire and kind of declare the fact that you are no longer going to hold on to that thing that's keeping you running from God. And that as soon as we let go of that control and let God take control is when we experience that peace and that comfort. So as we sing this song, just kind of let this be a moment that he's just kind of singing over you peace and comfort with this time of you putting down on that card what you want to let go of and literally throwing it in the fire and watching it burn as you walk out.